Hello, everyone, and welcome back to another episode of the Seek Outside podcast. My name is Dennis, and today Kevin and I are joined by Steve O'Pat. Steve O'Pat recorded a podcast with us recently. He then used our courthouse tent for a few trips on caribou hunts in Alaska and wanted to provide some feedback for our listeners on his thoughts on the courthouse. We also dive into a grizzly story and also a pretty epic moose hunt. So without further ado, Steve Opat. You guys need to see me then. So, so you can see kind of how I'm dressed today. There you go. Uh, see, I, I took my stocking hat off, Kevin, because uh, I don't know. I was trying to look cooler or something. Um, well, I was it's just so out, cold. I was just out getting firewood to tie into the last yeah. podcast, so I had to stoke the fire before we got, got it. It's going, and, and, wow. and I had to make a a, a tea. So, you know, what kind of logs are we featuring today, Kevin? Um, I think I have a combination of Ponderosa and Aspen. That's been kind of my go-to. Although I really, I, um, I have a preference for some of the more harder woods, but Aspen's all over the place. And I had a few trees in my yard that were Aspens that uh, have slowly died over time. So, were they were they cured up in the proper Norwegian yeah, way? Or they were, man. Um, hold on, I'm gonna redo my my headphone wiring. So you guys go ahead and chat. I will be back in a sec. Um, so uh, the video or the recording that we're doing is just through Google meet. So it's a meeting. I can just hit record meeting. Yep. It'll record and then just email me a file in the Google drive when we're done. Yep. And then what kind of microphone do you use? Like, do you uh, both have the, plug-in mics? It's the blue. Um, yep. The Yeti, Yeti mic, I think is what it's called. Yeah. The Yeti, Yeti something. That's right. Yeah. That's right. Yep. Um, I have not. I invested in like the Zoom handheld recorder and headsets when I started. And now I know like the number of these that I'm doing online and they are nice. And like, I just, I have to invest in a, uh, a USB mic. Yeah. And I think these Yeti, mic, I think they're only like 50 bucks. Uh, yeah, maybe they're, yeah, they're, I don't, I, yeah, or a hundred bucks or something. They're not not crazy expensive when you when you think about like the Zoom recorder in the headsets being. You know, I think some of the headsets are like two hundred bucks a piece. Uh, yeah, I, I went full send on those, so I uh, yeah, I have so you got They were nice. They were really nice at like Western Hunting Co- Expo when you had a mic that could cut out a lot of background noise. Mm-hmm like have a conversation with two people mm-hmm. um the cool thing about recording there was there were these moments when like we'd get in this real deep conversation with somebody about something extremely philosophical probably and then all of a sudden they would say something impactful and like this elk bugle would rip off in the background because we were right by the elk call company so sure. it's it sounded like we were in the elk woods it was awesome like the crowd noise just kind of turned into like that the you know the chatter of the mountain and the leaves rustling and then all of a sudden this bugle would rip off like wow whoa yeah <laughs> it's real kevin and i did one of those at the hunt expo western hunt expo this year where they were just across the aisle oh so the God. whole time they're just ripping bugles like <laughs> like the whole time they're like well we'll see how this goes if, if any of this is usable um, I don't even yeah. know. I haven't heard that come out. Have you, Kevin? Uh, or I don't know. If... 
I guess Kevin's still muted, so he can't talk to us yet. He's still trying to figure that out. I think I love Sheep Show. I know I love Sheep Show. I was going to say, like, I think I kind of like the environment of Western Hunt Expo. Uh, if that was my first experience, I would like it more, probably, because of the elk bugles in the background. Like, it feels like I'm in the mountains. And sure. <laughs> and I bet I could go to another one and be like, yeah, this is I, but I kind of miss the elk bugle in the background. And stuff. <laughs> I was just ripping bugles. Yeah. Yeah, the goods um, in the back. Have you tried recording any podcasts like over for you, for your podcast? Uh, I just did one on Zoom this week. Okay. Yeah, and and for the reasons you just said, I was recording with initial ascent and I wanted to I wanted to be good and wanted to feed back and forth and um they were going to maybe use the video for like a YouTube uh YouTube channel thing sure. and then I took the audio for my podcast. Yeah, and, and we'll we we can experiment with that. I mean, I could try this one on on YouTube and just see. You know, I might need to redo my background maybe a little bit if we're gonna, we're gonna show the world. I, I don't get this nice log cabin feel that you got going on. Nice warm. Uh, um, the hard part is is just how people utilize it. Like, I just I just don't think people really want to sit down and watch an hour long podcast when there's Netflix. Like I would not encourage someone to do that. <laughs> <laughs> but, no. I know it finished bad, but like seriously go back and walk go back and watch Dexter <laughs> over watching me just sit and make shit up. <laughs> um yeah, it's it's crazy, right? Because Rogan gets such a huge or well, I guess we'll see with the new shift to um, Spotify and what their video capabilities are going to be. But he had such a huge following on YouTube in his, you know, four hour podcast. People are just watching. Or I, don't, I don't know what they're doing. I guess they would just play it on a big TV and clean their house or something. You know, I don't know. I've never watched them. I don't, it, this is hard when uh, we try to do these businesses in the outdoors that require certain amounts of technology and stuff. And I just don't care. <laughs> it's hard to do something that you yourself just absolutely wouldn't utilize. So you don't, you're not carrying an iPad around in the backcountry with you, so you know exactly <laughs> where you are. Yeah, I'm gonna sit in my deer stand in Minnesota and watch a Rogan podcast. About <laughs> a that, buck to come back later. That's very. Uh, you know, if I, I think back to, and we'll date myself a little bit, maybe uh, middle school or so, tree stand, Wisconsin. Like there I, was okay, nothing. I dated myself all through middle school and high school because none of the girls would date me. <laughs> <laughs> but, I just, but like sitting in a tree stand, there was nothing. I didn't have a, I didn't have a phone even to play snake on. I just right? thought like, how, how awful it was and couldn't wait till I get out of it. Or at least I wanted a deer to come by like right then. Yeah, I mean, it was just hours of that conversation, right? Like, should, should I just leave? No, I'll stay. No, should it? Mm. Nah, that kind of sucks. You know, that that conversation? Yeah. Now I can just, you know, I, I don't make it home super often anymore. But if I am home, I'm, I'm like texting my dad, like, see anything? <laughs> you know? Yeah. Like, it's just a weird. It's just a weird. And, and I know plenty of people that do that listen to podcasts while they're in the tree stand or in the ground blind or, or whatnot. I remember 
back in the T9 word days and the snake days and the flip phone era, um, you text messaging was not um, unlimited. You guys remember this? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And and so you, you got like, all that for sounding like you you sent 250 text messages this month. What are you what are you doing? Yeah, right, right, right. And so then hunting season would come around, and all of a sudden you like you can do the group text. And I just remember just going home one day after sitting in the tree stand all day and was like, Mom, you're gonna have to either forgive me or take like, you know, add add another line, you know, whatever to the plan because I'm making a lot of text messages. And now, like, nobody even thinks of it. I don't, I couldn't tell you in the slightest how many messages I send a day, especially considering group chats, of which we all have a hunting group chat, especially if you have buddies in deer camp of like, yeah, what are you seeing? You know, oh, I just shot the big nine. Oh, uh-huh. you've been a nice bucket another year or two, you know? So we have, we have three people here with vastly different hunting experiences so far this year. Dennis's place is on fire, and then it and then it snowed and rained. Yeah, on fire, on fire, and I was like, "Oh, it's uh, I can maybe get in there this week," and then it snowed. Uh, and then, and then you're right. out, you're out hunting caribou, and then I've been looking for bear, and I've seen one bear, but it wasn't in my unit, and it was a little one, and I saw a lot of elk, um, but that was about it. Interesting. This fire thing, is that, how long will that affect your, small enough that the, your, your animals can escape to save country, or is it going to be a, a big rebuild? Um, yeah, I mean, so we live in Grand Junction, and it's just north of town. It's the biggest wildfire in Colorado history. Um, not by much, right? It's, it's like 140, or just shy of 140,000 acres. Um, but it's mainly very dry, uh, sage, juniper, um, maybe some pinions, north-facing slope type stuff. So, um, in 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 fact, the it didn't actually burn the whole unit, um, and it closed a lot of the roads up there, which was the issue. So you couldn't get into yeah. a lot of places that you that we maybe wanted to get into. Um, but yeah, I mean, it'll have some effect. It's definitely part of the winter range for, for elk and mule deer in that, in that neck of the woods. So it'll definitely have some, some impacts for sure. And then this is not my dog, but look at this dog's head. Is this, sorry, (laughs) it took me a long time. I love dogs, but I also feel that dogs are like babies. Like they're not all cute. (laughs) <laughs> and everyone thinks they are you know and i'll i have to some at some point in life i'll get it enough get comfortable enough with my communication to be like that's he's just died for me like i'm not really attracted to that dog this, this <laughs> one took, took a good week to warm up to me now he's cool but he's not pretty <laughs> this is where the video component of the conversation <laughs> Would be beneficial for the listeners. But it's true. It's true. Sorry, listeners. I had a, a dog trying to climb on my lap. They don't quite know podcast etiquette yet. Um, so so you've been caribou hunting a fair amount already, right? I have yeah, I have done a, a fair amount of caribou hunting. I did uh the trip that I got connected with with Kevin for. We did that one, which was up on the Hall Road, and that was what you we all talked about on that first recording. Uh, where I had, there were five of us up there. So we took, we actually took two 
big tents. We took a, a teepee and uh, the courthouse and then came back from that. And my girlfriend was on a break from grad school. She's getting an advanced nursing degree. And we went into the uh, interior of Alaska, which actually wasn't caribou hunting. Um, we were sheep hunting or whatever we could fight. We were just getting the, in the mountains for a week. You, got, you know how that goes. We're like, I, I've got some tags in my pocket. I really don't care if I fill them. Quite honestly, it'd make a lot of work. We got a short, short amount of time and I'll come across meat somewhere else. But we found a caribou on that trip um, that was huge. And so I was able to videotape it through my spotting scope. And then uh, I, when I got out of the woods, I brought it to this guy that I'm guiding for this year. And we said, we've been having a hard time finding caribou at some of the other camps. This guy that you're going to be guiding next week, we should probably just pack him in there and kill that. So with that beta, we took a, a client and a, he keeps two horses, pack horses back on the, on the roadside of camp. And uh, we packed in and I had enough intel from being in there to, to, to guess where that caribou was. And we went and in a sideways rainstorm, my client had some damn good eyes and he spotted it and uh, backed out. And the next day we went in and killed it. And luckily I had the video because he's like, is it the same one? You know, and I just did the whole like, look through the spot scope, look at the video, look through spot scope. But like, does he have the deep back fork? Yes. All right. Does he have the front, you know, mm -hmm. front palm that looks like a hand on his left? Yes. That's our guy. This is. And so here's the lesson. I knew that that animal had been there for a full week. I knew that he had been there three days um, before I got there before I last saw him and I knew that the weather was going to be crappy and blowing and storming for another two days. And he was, we found him on the lee side of the mountain. So I think my biggest role with this client was to just say like, listen, this is ours to, to fuck. Sorry. This is our show to fuck up. Mm -hmm. It was just knowing that like this guy's going to be there and we're going to be able to spot him because there's no timber or anything this there's no use rushing this you've got a week to, to pull it off and it's going to be there this is our show to fuck up let's just do everything right and we'll kill this and in the end we were sitting about 600 yards away from it and he's doing the whole like god if i had my gun i would kill this thing right now right here and just wait for a lull in the wind and we played that game for like three hours and then it would bed and feed and bed and feed. And then it just got up and walked right towards us. And we shot it at 95 yards <laughs> from, from 350 yards to 95. I couldn't even see it because all the cover, I was just telling this in another story, like, all the cover that we had put between us and the animal to try to sneak closer to it. It just got behind <laughs> and it, like used it in reverse. It, it used mm. the little shrub and the little swale and, came right towards us and we we shot at 95 before it got any closer before it flanked us mm -hmm. so i've had some really good caribou hunting this year all that to say i've had some really good caribou hunting this year what is it uh what does it look like for you know you say you're going into the mountains you got a bunch of tags in your pocket like what kind of tags you got just in your pocket 
Um, Kayla and I as residents had, well, let's, let's go by it. What we didn't have was a caribou tag because that was a draw unit. Okay. Everything else was fair game. So uh, moose wasn't open yet. So we had sheep, uh, three black bear, which is a real low probability black bear unit. Uh, and then grouse and what a wolf and got it stuff like that. You know, when when we walked into this client, it was September first. So when he was done with that caribou, he could have ta- added on a, a moose, a grizzly, a sheep, a wolf, a wolverine. We had some options. Sure, sure. And then it's so fun because that my my dream has always been. And it's one of the reasons I moved from Minnesota. It's just a place to go where you can just go hunting. Mm-hmm. You know, like, I, I guess as a kid who played Davy Crockett and Daniel Boone a lot growing up, I just kind of envision these frontiersmen just like, or, or like a, an Indian, you know, brave going out to, to, get, to hunt food. I just kind of envisioned that they didn't really have something in mind that day mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. that they just went out hunting and they didn't, they didn't bring like their bison arrows to no. go <laughs> kill bison there or, or, you know, like they picked this, this rifle because they knew they were going to shoot a black bear today. Yes, that's right. That's right. Yeah. They weren't know whether there was going to be long range hunting or they needed their brush gun. Yeah. Mm-hmm. They just, mm-hmm. Which is why I use the term like a quiver, you know, a full quiver. And it's like, you just, you got an arrow in there for everything. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's fun for me. I, I like that opportunity to, uh, it lets you use the weather a lot more. When the weather socks in the sheep mountains, you can just pivot and go bear hunting down the low country for the day or something like that. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's something yeah. that uh, doesn't really happen here. Did you now your client was was he an Alaskan resident? Was that why he had the possibility of so many different tags? No, he wasn't, but he was guided. Oh, so so since I was with him guiding, he could uh, he bought a grizzly tag and a and a caribou tag, and so kind of after we killed that caribou it was whatever we could find was was fair game so we just kind of spent a couple days sitting uh, in the area where we shot that caribou and just glassed and glassed and glassed and glassed and and ultimately didn't find anything we could shoot but yeah i'm gonna i'm gonna ask a question and and we might edit this out maybe i don't i don't know but if I remember, or I, I did a little bit of research after our last conversation, and I believe Trail from Go Hunt was hunting with you last year. Yeah, and you right. guys, and you guys were on a moose hunt, I believe. Yep. And there was a grizzly encounter in there. Yep. Can you tell me that story, or tell us that story? Oh, or yeah. Maybe, you, I, maybe you've told it a bunch of times. I don't. I don't know, but I, I can. And then. Uh, before we get too carried away, I want to talk about that courthouse tent. Okay. Because it was a journey, and that thing is, I went from, this is a good tool. Um, it, it might not be for me for all the hunts I do, to, like, by the end of this caribou hunt, I was like, 
this thing whew, now that i know how to proper like some things to do setting this sucker up this is a mean machine uh so the grizzly last year you want the long story long or the long story short i, I think i want the long story man because i remember seeing i think i remember seeing a video last year and then a picture and i was like wait what happened right like yeah yeah I, I think yeah, it, yeah. Okay. the caption for the photo is me laying next to this bear and it just says fuck i did not want to do that so that draws a lot of attention and i've written that story and it was supposed to be published with uh from my buddy at meat eater and then he moved to peterson's and so the story moved with him and so the story didn't get published like i wanted to i'm sorry okay uh so the long story long is that this was day one of this moose hunt that took me four years to plan for. Four years to finally say, like, I can, I'm going to pull this off this year. And uh, it happened to be Trail Kreitzer's, the year of his 40th birthday. So when we met at Hunt Expo in 2019 uh, and just had our usual, like, hey, how you doing, hour long conversation, we we're like, wait, when, when are we going to hunt together, man? What? What do you want to do? It's like I think it's moose, man. I think for me, it's it's a hunt that I'll I'll probably never draw, and I'm turning forty. I'm not going to want to do that much work when I'm any older. So like, I think it's moose. And so I was like, all right, I needed that nudge to finally pull off this hunt in the secret territory, the land of the giants. So Trail and I pull this, put this together, and it's it it takes a lot of orchestration. It really does. There's air cargo and all kinds of stuff involved. But any so anyways, all that to say, I'm very, very, very excited to be, you know, boating out of this marina and going into this hunting camp. And in, and in the article, I say how, like, you know, Trail had never been there. He's looking at his Onyx to kind of navigate us through some backwater stuff and get in the main river. And I swear, I had looked at the digital imagery so much that I just was like, I know where we're going. I this is, I grew up here, you know. Yeah. You're like, uh, we turn on that rock, like we turn. Yeah, we turn, exactly. You know, like uh, where I grew up in Minnesota. Not only do I know who currently owns the farm, but I know what farm they call that because it's the person who used to own that farm. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. You know, so like Ron Greenslade owns the old Martin farm, and when I'm going to go hunting. I'm going to tell my dad that I'm going to go to the old Martin farm. Uh huh. Yeah. So I, we're driving up the river past the old Martin farm and the Greenslade Ranch and whatever else. We get to where we're going and we pull this one. And I want to know if you guys have ever done this. You know that you're going to camp there. You know that you're going to camp there for a week. So you know that you have like a full week of hunting, but you don't set up camp before you go and get yourself into a big boondoggle. You just kind of say like, oh, well, let's just go peek over the hill. Oh, I'm, I'm way guilty of. Let's go peek over. Let's go take a look here, real quick. Did you uh, wait? Did you set your stuff down though? Were you like, we're gonna put camp here, but let's go look at this first? Like that like kind of half out of the boat, so we at least feel like we made an effort. Sure, sure. You right. put some things on shore, and then you just like get in and leave. Yeah, mm -hmm. yeah. I, I don't know if I, that was just to stake our claim. If anybody else came along, or I don't know what. But anyways, it was like let's just go peek over that hill real quick. And then, the, you know, one false peak, and, and next thing you know, we're a mile and a half in to get to where we really need to be to be glassing this. 
Because you don't want to half-ass glass something, right? And we're glassing, and there's moose. And I go a little bit farther in to get to where we can just we can see that basin because I don't want to waste time setting up camp. If like, what if there's a moose right there? It's only in a mile from camp, you know? Like, mm-hmm. uh, well, and then uh, this bull walks over the hill from the head of the drainage. It's like probably two miles from it is two miles from camp. And this bull walks over, and it's quite clearly the bull that we came the kind of bull that we came to see. It is wide. His antlers just grow straight out of the side of his head. So I run back and get trail and give him like the arms wide, like huge bull come this way. And and next thing we know, the peak over the hill now has us with like two candy bars to our name, no water, uh, our weapons. And we're, we're two miles from camp stalking this bull. And it was worth it. It was totally awesome. We start sneaking into this bull and we get to 500 yards and I'm looking at him through the spotting scope and we just come, there's this open expanse and the bulls is laying there just looking down the drainage. He might be sleeping with his head up, but like we get to this point where because of the topography, there's just really no way to get up to him. And it's the first day and you don't want to screw it up. And as we're sitting there humming and hawing on what to do, all of a sudden, his head, this is where we pay to see, his head just falls over. <laughs> and he goes to sleep. And it's just one antler sticking out of the tundra is all you can see. He just goes to bed. And so Trail and I look at each other. We do like the huh, wide-eyed, look at each other, look apart. We're like, we got to go. So we just like grab our stuff and race across that open spot. We cover like 150 yards and we just run, just run across the tundra, knowing that he ain't looking. And now we're into like, now we're into like 200 yards and he's got his bow with him. And we're like, we could shoot this thing with a rifle right now. And none of us would complain. But once we've crossed that, that opening, like this is a, this is easy. This is an ideal bow hunting situation. So He's awake, sleeping, awake, sleeping, and we just start crawling in. And we're like, I think we can get to this point. And then, you know, if you've ever hunted spot and stock like antelope or something, sometimes the closer you get, the more cover reveals itself. The more little terrain features and slopes. And pretty soon, sure enough, once you know, as luck would have it, um, we're like 40 yards from this thing. Just belly crawling. As anytime he sleep, we would just belly crawl. The wind is perfect, and we're just waiting for him to stand up. It just seems like this is simple. He's gonna. He's been bedded down for an hour or two. Pretty soon, it's gonna be time for his evening gallivant, and he'll stand up, and we'll put an arrow in him. And if Trail doesn't get the shot, I'll shoot him with a rifle, and like it's easy. So this goes on from like four thirty to six thirty. We're laying in the grass looking at this thing and it's kind of getting old <laughs> and, and again this goes back to what i said about the caribou this was our situation to fuck up and we knew that and trail had just killed two elk in six days so he was mm-hmm. on point he went from like nevada to utah and tagged out and then came right to alaska and it was day one so i mean he he still smelled like blood yeah yeah so we just didn't want to, in my head, there's probably a lot of people thinking like, oh, I would have just like whistled at him and got him to stand up. 
but why would we do something that might just startle him? We're in his wheelhouse. Let's just wait. And then I like, I'm trying to film some stuff with my phone. And then like, I really got to pee. I'm like, I got to pee because it's 630. He's going to stand up soon. I know it. So I start to pee and I kind of got caught with my pants down <laughs> before I got my zipper up. But without getting my thingy caught in my zipper, uh, he stands up. <laughs> he stands up and I grab the phone and he faces like kind of right at us for a second and then just whirls and leaves. No, like, no stretch, no shimmy, no shake, no nothing that they normally do. He just gets up and leaves. And so I can see trail at full draw, and I can see that when he turned, he turned towards him. So he never really gave him that, like, quartering away angle. If he would have turned away from him, he turned towards him and then just left. So trail's at full draw. We do the, the bleat, you know, the meh. The one we've all done, the one every hunting show ever, like is requirement to get on hunting TV. The one everyone does and doesn't practice. <laughs> yeah, we just made a noise. I think it's something primal. We all know. Noise yeah, or, or is it hunting TV that's done it to us? But anyways, yeah. Yeah, so we do the meh. It doesn't stop. It just runs away. And by this time, I'm thinking, okay, now it's my turn to just shoot it with a rifle. And again, the, the terrain plays out really funny. And it, it just got over the rise behind us before I could get the rifle on it. And I had one of those half body shots of a moving animal on a skyline. And firearm safety at age 12 told me I should not take that shot. You don't know what's over the hill. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So I try running. I do what firearm safety taught me not to do. <laughs> <laughs> you put one in the chamber and take off running. <laughs> I load a shell as I'm running and I spin it. Safety off. Safety off. Exactly, right? Oh, I kept the muzzle pointed away from trail, but I sprint at this thing. And a moose is a huge animal and they can cover ground like you wouldn't believe. And I think I'm fast, but me running fast enough to get winded in a hundred meters is not fast enough to keep up with the trotting moose. And the moose is gone. The moose is gone by the time I get to where I, I would have had a clear shot. So that's the long part of the long story. Now we get into like part two, the furry beast. The trail and I convene at the spot that I lose my breath. Probably, <laughs> you know, when we look all around us, we're like, I did not see that coming. There was there was no way you could tell me we wouldn't get that bull. What the hell was that all about? So we're like, well, whatever. It's the first day. We should probably get home. We never set up camp. I haven't eaten all day because we skipped that. I haven't drank anything all day. We skipped that. So we just like, you know, pat each other on the back and start heading, retracing our steps, heading back towards camp. And all of a sudden, a grizzly bear walks out of the brush and goes and basically stands right where that bull was bedded. So this is like, you know, animal bedded on this knob, take two. This time, it's a big grizzly bear. Uh, I did not. This is not, <laughs> this is not what I wanted to happen. So we size it up, and I'm pretty certain this is just, I know that this is a big bear. You can see that, but I'm pretty certain that this is a big sow, and I don't want to shoot this bear. 
but like it's woolly brush on either side of it. We have this 80 yard corridor down the the saddle where this bull was bedded to to get through to where we can keep eyes on this bear, hopefully scare it, get past it without wondering what it's doing. So I was like, I think we got to just go right at it. I think we just got to go above it, get our wind into it, keep where we can see it and just walk right at it and blow it out of there. And trails like, yeah, yeah, uh, but, but, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> that sounds like a great idea. <laughs> so uh, he's got his bow. I've got a three hundred wind mag. We walk right at it. Well, not right, right at it, but we well, walk to it. That's why he was like not so fond of the idea. He had his bow. Mm-hmm. He had his bow and his gun, his sidearm. You know, the question, age old question, like what's the right sidearm for bear country, grizzly country? You know. Like so, he brings this forty-five because he has one, and I had my ten millimeter, and they were both in our packs, which we dropped to belly crawl inside of bowling <laughs> of this moose. So we didn't have them. Nah. Nah. So is it is the grizzly like bedded? Is, did she go and just lay down? Yeah, blueberries. She's just grazing away. She's just hanging out. Like, and how how yeah. close do you think she was when you guys were just waiting out this? Two hundred yards. Three three hundred yards, maybe. So she was just around you guys, hanging out. Eating. Yeah, she. It was a it was a like a low pass. So she had come up out of one big woolly draw of willows and alders, and we had come up the other side of it. Okay. And in the middle, on the saddle, sorry, my hands are you can see them. On the saddle, on the crown, was Baron Tundra. So she was on that saddle, just eating blueberries, and. uh so we're just hoping that she's fed to the downwind side of that open tundra saddle. We're going to go to the upwind side. We'll keep eyes on her and smoke her out of there. Mm-hmm. And that's working. We're able to use the saddle. So like all she, all that was visible of us was our heads. We're, we're getting to the point where she's downwind and it's working. It sounds, it looks like it's going perfectly as planned. And then I don't know whether she saw us or smelled us, but she faces us, puts you like raise her head and just gets on her hind legs and like just looks right at us. Actually, the first thing she did was sit on her haunches and she just looked right at us. And I go, okay, trail, you keep going. Like get directly upwind of her. Fill her nose with human scent. Burp, fart, open up your armpits. I don't care. Whatever you got to do, get as much human scent in her nose as you can. I'm going to keep the gun pointed at her. And she just kept looking as I'm kind of doing the little like, my gun's up, but I'm moving my feet, a little tactical approach. And then she's just too interested. So I, I see this high tussock, sits maybe a f- foot or two above the other knobs. And I just, I, as I said, like, this is like my Alamo. This is my high ground. This is as good of a fortification as I'm going to get. I sit on that. I sit cross-legged. I put my, my elbows on my knees. I lock the scope in, and I just aim it right at her. And I'm not going to take it off until she's boogies out. So trail keeps going. I'm locked on her. Then she stands on her back legs and squares right to us. And I'm like, All and right. how, how, how far away is she at this point? 80 some 80. yards. Yeah, 80 some yards. All right. She puts her feet on the ground and she starts coming towards us. And anyone I've been, I've had bears come around me and towards me. So I, I kind of like describe their motions as such. Like she started like this kind of a, a gallop, like a Hollywood slow-mo kind of gallop. 
Um, and that's fine. That's she's not committed at that point. I know that. She does that for about twenty yards. And I'm I'm talking myself through this, like not yet. She could still bluff charge. She's just gonna smell us and check us out because they can't see at all. Their ter- vision's terrible. So she's just gonna get where she can see us. So trails back, making himself big. I'm making myself precise and accurate. And then she comes into like I don't know. I don't know. I don't know distance at this point. But at a certain point, I can see that the her fur really starts rumbling and i know that this is this is fast now they're going fast when you can see like a uh, i don't want to i don't want to uh oh no something happened my computer um i i don't want to make a rude comment here anyways her skin really starts rolling <laughs> i'm like oh shit now she's pummeling She's turning on speed now. That's that's like the that's the ripple. The ripples are coming faster now. And then she she comes over this little rise and straightens course and comes right at me. And I remember like I had been watching her head because her nose was up as she was running. And then shortly after her skin really starts ro- pummeling, uh, she comes over that rise and I can see that her head is down because my scope is now looking at the, her hump instead of her head and i realized that she put her head down and i also really like to shoot it and a bear right in like the nape of the neck so that it goes if they're coming right at you it goes just before the hump and it goes right in and if you miss left you'll totally break a shoulder and break them down and if you hit them dead center you'll hit the spine and the spinal shrapnel right down into the heart and both lungs and you'll just you'll drop them and they'll die quick and I was, so in my head, even though she's charging me, it's like a baseball player, like looking at the pitch coming 62 feet away. And you're like, that's going to be a strike. That's a fastball. I'm going to, you know, take that opposite field. I'm like, she's coming. She's committed. Uh, her head is down. I could take the shot I like. This is close enough to justify a defensive kill. If I have to, I'm going to shoot her. And so then that's when I just, I drive one home. I miss right, I think. I don't hit the spine. She growls and snarls, and she's like, oh, that hurt, and keeps coming, keeps coming. So I freaking cycle another one, put it in this aim center mass, hit her again, and she starts doing that, like, the cyclone. Have you ever seen this when you kill a bear? They start biting at their side and just, like, mm-hmm. spinning, spinning, and spinning. So then I caught... As she's spinning, like somewhere mid-spin, or she pauses long enough, I put a third one that I saw go right, right through the left rib and come out the right rib. And she was still on her feet, but not coming at me. I, I knew that was fatal, but I re- reloaded to shoot a fourth one because I've lost a bear before with four rounds in it, and uh, I was going to shoot a fourth one. And then I finally heard trail. And he yelled loud enough to like break my trance. And he's like, no, 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 no. She's dead. She's dead. She's done. Just reload. <laughs> but don't shoot. So that she she died pretty quickly after that. But by the time that was done, she was uh, I don't know, maybe maybe 20 yards away. Something. I mean, just, why why wasn't Trail just, down there with his bow trying to help you out? 
He was trying to record it on his phone so he could Instagram it. Yeah, but I mean, he could have been putting arrows in her at the same time, you know? Hmm. Could have ran down there, helped out his buddy. Yeah, I'll give him I'll give him shit for that next time I see him. For not being more <laughs> um, if you here's I know you always take notes on interesting things for people to look at, mm-hmm. and I know that I've been hogging the microphone, so I'll say this and then I'll, I'll let you ask questions. Uh, yeah. If you want a riveting book to read and a fantastic story, it's called Hunting with Bow and Arrow by Saxon Pope, the 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 Pope from Pope and Young. And uh, among his awesome stories about becoming friends with the last known American wild Indian, a guy named Ishii, who lives in California, or lived in California, Mm. um, they tell stories of collecting specimens for the National Museum. And they get permission to hunt grizzly bears in Yellowstone National Park. And uh, they put together this huge expedition. And in the final scene of the chapter, Pope and his buddy go up on this sow and three cubs. The museum wanted cubs because people will have a hard time hearing this, but the museum wanted cubs because they were going to do full taxidermy and all these animals, and they needed cubs to show all the different sizes of grizzlies and put together an exhibit. So sow, three cubs, and a boar that's trying to attack them, I think is how it goes. And in the end, there's like four dead bears, blood everywhere. The two archers did like the Robin Hood thing where they're just like peeling arrows out and shooting them one at one after the other into this this big mass of fur and you know the guy who brought him in there was like i've never seen such a spectacle before and it literally like it's a book that reads like an action movie it was awesome i recommend people read it if they're if they're into archery it was it was fascinating so so let's get back to this bear real quick you got this bear down now right yeah um hide head how much does that weigh with all the fat on it, this was a really, I, this was a dry, I think this was a dry sow. It's probably seven and a half feet. So she had a pretty healthy hide. This is last week of September. Very full of fat. She was a big old mama, big cankles on her, you know? Um, mm. It was a heavy load, but not as big as a moose quarter. Probably 80 pounds, maybe. Oh, that's not bad. No, I don't, I don't think it was, I don't remember being too bad, but I remember being like, I did not want to deal with a bear hide the first day. Um, that's one of those things you dream of doing after you, you kill your moose. But here I was, first day of a 10-day hunt, and now I have this bear hide to deal with. Yeah. Um, did you – so was it, was it in defense? Is that, is that how it was tagged, or, or how did – No. My plan was um, I had a tag, so I could legally shoot it if I did or didn't want to and keep it. Okay. My plan was that if I had to do that twice, I would pick the bear I wanted. <laughs> and and one would get registered as a defensive life of property. And, and uh, you know, I would have to surrender the other or both of them, however the troopers wanted to. But I knew that this one was certifiably a defensive life and property. And, uh, but I elected, to, I wanted to keep it because. Yeah. She. That was a pretty cool one. She was a cool bear. Her snout was broken at one time, and she was missing one of her canines. Uh, mm. So she she had character to her. She's just an old, gnarly, beat-up old mama. Hmm. Interesting. Yeah. So you so, want to hear something? Yeah. Go ahead. No, that, go ahead. That's cool. Um, the, next, the next day, I fleshed out all the 
all the claws in the head and turn the lips and ears while trail was glassing. And then by, by the time I got done with that, we, we spotted a moose and went and had a cool another 56 yard encounter with a bull that we didn't get for one reason or another, but it looked like it was going to happen. And then it just didn't. Uh, so the, the next day then I have to flesh the spare because I don't want to go back to town to ship it and freeze it in his gut. So I have to find a way to flesh the spare. And I had this great idea. We were camped by this big beaver dam and I, I went into the beaver dam and I found a big piece of like a driftwood or beaver chew. And I wanted driftwood because I wanted something that had been rolled in the river and was smooth. So I found a, a piece of beaver chew. It's like a five, six inch popple that the mm-hmm. beavers had caught on one end, right? Mm-hmm. And I was going to make a fleshing beam out of a beaver chew. And I found just what I wanted. So I found it like a seven foot long log that the beavers had chewed at one end. There were no knot, like uh, knots or branches coming off it and it had been rolled smooth by the river. And I jammed it in the bank and I made a fleshing beam out of it. Then I took my machete and I uh, wrapped duct tape or uh, gorilla tape around the, the blade end so that I could grab it. And I had a both handle and I made a, I made a draw knife and I made a fleshing knife out of a machete and a beaver chew. And I sat there all morning and started fleshing that bear. And right about the time I was done with it, Trail, who was up in the glassing spot, the one just, just, just a peek over the hill from camp, he puts a game bag on a trek pole and waves it at me, holds his arm out wide when I see him and says, I've got our moose. So I finished fleshing the, uh, the bear with a machete and then trail and I go up and we see his moose and say, yeah, that's the one we came to harvest. Mm. And, uh, no sooner than I'd been with the bear, we're, we're packing meat. Yeah. So uh, it took you all two days to, to, yeah, like two days. Did, yeah. did you, did you hunt? Um, did you have a moose tag as well? I did. Yes. Yeah. So I told people when we got out of there and they asked how it was. It's like, did, did you ever have one of those hunts that like you have big plans for? You're super excited. You think you got it all dialed in. And then it just, it just doesn't go the way you wanted it to. Like, yeah. Yeah, I did. That wasn't this one at all. <laughs> <laughs> this one was perfect. We our boat could barely float. We had two moose in it and a grizzly bear in it. Like, I, I there was no use. We we didn't catch a fish. We were too busy mm. the whole week packing and fleshing to fish. That would have been the only thing. A trail could have caught a grayling. I think it would have been a cherry on top. Sounds a little yeah. bit, sounds a little bit like that hunt Nathan and I had. Which one's this? Oh, we had a backpack hunt that we did. A, I think it was the podcast before this that we got three animals in three days, got exactly the animals we wanted. And it was literally like clockwork. It was 730 of the first day. He gets his bowl. We pack that out. The next evening, he gets uh, the big mule deer he wanted, the big old gnarly mule deer. And then the next morning, and and we got him like I literally was straddling the carcass of his bull when I shot my mule deer, 
and they all were within like 200 yards and all within a couple hundred yards of camp. Oh, wow. Yeah. We were just, we were just cutting and, uh, and, uh, basically hauling meat too. <laughs> so, <laughs> but, but we packed moose meat way too far. You I only was... packed 200 yards. That's a, that's, that's perfection. <laughs> What uh, I was going to ask you that. Well, well, we had to pack it several miles out of the wilderness. So, but, but it was only, everything was probably shot within, everything came to rest probably within 200 yards of each other. And they probably all, the spot where his carcass of his elk was, was probably 200 yards from camp. It literally was so close. Um, Yeah. Um, I was gonna, I was gonna ask you that though. Uh, pack and moose. Do you have a? You know, I've, I've heard. I guess you know, you have a cutoff. You don't want to shoot them more than a mile from camp, or you know, like some some rule in there just because of how how much work it is, and it, especially with the tussocks, right? Yeah, this ground was pretty. This was different than North Slope Tundra. It was a lot. It was much more smooth. It was actually pretty good ground. Uh, I'm, I'm hesitant to opine on that question because I don't want someone to take it as gospel and then come back at me and be like, two miles? You're insane. (laughs) I'm suing you. You literally destroyed my body. You told me it was possible. Um, Disclaimer, I cannot be sued because you packed it out too far. Yeah. Yeah. So, so, uh. Trails bull was 1,100 yards through a swamp. And that, at the, at the end of it, um, my bull was a mile and a half from camp. But for the record, I kind of <laughs> messed up a little bit. And I it was right where we wanted it to be. It was right in line with the plan. Um, and it was should have only been a mile from camp. But... Why just we just didn't orchestrate the kill and we had to go track it down and he kind of slid off the back side of the hill and went down in the brush. So he was a little bit farther from camp. And so the first thing we had to do is pack him uphill four or five hundred yards so that we could then pack him downhill to camp. So I, I have this saying like moose meat only goes one direction. Downhill towards camp. Downhill mm-hmm. towards the truck, downhill towards the boat. But like no, 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 no uphillies, no over the mountains, no, like, it's just, it's just got to go down. Because um, it sucks. So, do, do you have like a, do you have a weight limit, right? Do you take more trips in less weight? Or, you know, I do. You, yeah, you just try to figure it out that way. Yeah, I mean, I, the thing is, is like, this is what we do. I mean, you listen, Kevin, you're older than I am. And you just packed out an elk or two, what was it? Three animals in three days? Yeah, that was two years ago. That was when I was young and surprised still. Um, (laughs) Like you you can't do this if you're, if you destroy your body when you're young. I think that we are really influenced by like our high school friends and the jocks and stuff of, you know, being called a wuss or a pansy. And we try to, we American males, especially, I mean, we invented ultimate fighting because we 
we're not graceful people. We're just brawlers. We're bashers, you know, like, ah, whatever. Ten rounds boxing, screw that. Make it five rounds or three rounds and just fight to the death, right? Yeah, three rounds and head kick. That's that's a bunch of who would you. I like. I have nothing to prove by how much I can carry because all I, all I'm going to do is like start sprouting hernias like I'm a watering can. Like you know, just things are just going to pop out when you start hold you know exerting yourself. So there is a way that you can take hind quarters and front quarters and you can you can lop off like a third of them. You can find a knuckle. There's easy access to a knuckle in there. Um, and you can cut them down to instead of being a 110 pound entire moose hind, you can knock them into like a, a 60 and a 40 hmm. split. Uh, and that and that just makes them way easier. And so, I mean, Trail is a fit dude. He runs six miles a day because he packs out three elk every year. And he had just packed out two elk. He was fit. I was in shape. We just elected that it was way easier to cover a hundred or a, a mile and a half healthy and fast than it was to just slog it out in, you know, five, three trips a piece. Mm-hmm. So we would do each, each moose was 10 loads. Um, five, five trips per person would get, would got our moose out. That's how we did it. And that was, that was doable. Like we got done with that and we could hunt the next day. We hadn't destroyed ourselves. So. Sure. Yeah, that was that's my advice for people is if you really want to see how to do it, I'll next chance I get, I'll record a video and and send it and add it on, but I think it's the other thing is that's nice um is if you don't take off that last the hawk on a a large animal. So like an elk or a moose one if you keep literally keep like the hoof on it you keep like this 18 inch brush grabber over your head that's sure. all it is it's yeah. just extra weight because i don't know why we do, i don't know why we don't cut that off we don't need it uh so so getting the right knife that can delimb something is really important but even still um if you can take the next piece off like i said and split it into something that's you know 60 40 or 70 30 weight weight wise you get rid of that brush grabber that sticks above your head because the last thing you want is to be pulling something through the brush and then have it snag and now you have to turn into the incredible hulk to get through (laughs) you gotta you gotta fight a tree with 60 pounds on your back yeah it's awful Mm mm-hmm so that's one reason I like to do it. Two, it just you can fit it, fit it in your pack. Three, uh, it just keeps weight from shifting so much. And anytime you have that much weight and it shifts just a little bit, it cooks your body. It requires your body to use way more of those stabilizer muscles to to catch you and and throw you back to center. And then the weight shifts and it throws you, and you have to catch your weight and then throw it back to center. And using all those little stabilizer muscles burns a lot of energy. So if you can just keep that weight really well secured, you know, it's just like a turtle shell, that, that helps you not fatigue. It helps you, you know, get the job done without destroying your body and using up all your reserves. Yeah, we did a lot of experimentation of placing heavy weight where it's placed. 
um, and how it feels on your back and how much energy you use. And it's definitely, there's, there's areas that are definitely much better. And then there's areas that really make you use your stabilizers a lot because it tries to exert control more over your body, like a fulcrum of some sort. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's imperative. If you, one of the first things I do when I load a pack is I put it on and God, this really would be good to just show this video. I will packs loaded belt chest harness, shoulder shaft tighten, load lifter pulled in. Then I will like put my hands on my hips and swing it real hard to the left and, and then twist real hard to the right. And what I'm trying to do is feel like the, like a ballast. I'm trying to feel if any weight is shifting. If after my body stops twisting, if I feel weight continuing to move in that direction. And if I do, I'll take the pack off and start playing with straps or whatever I need to do to get that. So like you said, I want it to be a turtle shell. I want it to get on my back and be basically like a, a, an, a limb of my body, a part of my body. So there's not a shifting of, or a sloshing. Sloshing is bad. Sloshing is going to really cook you. Right, right. So now you mentioned courthouse. That's the actually the reason why we're here today, right? So you use the courthouse on a couple trips. Yeah, most of the most of the responses to the courthouse have been positive overall. Um, it's a unique shelter, has a lot of advantages. Um, but there have been a couple reports of some issues in the wind. And while we've tried to recreate those, um, you were able to actually get that to happen often, which led us to having a conversation about possible resolutions and fixes. And then you went into the field with it again and came up with a couple little tweaks of your own and had a totally different experience. Yeah. Yeah. The biggest thing. The difference between the first experience and the second experience was that on the first experience, um, I hastily set it up. I had a lot of experience with teepees, and I know I can set up a teepee at night in the dark. I just, I, I know, I'm very familiar with how far you stretch out the four corners, put the, you know, put the pole up. I, this was my first experience setting up this courthouse, and. Uh, when I came back and told you the experience that I had, you knew immediately that I did not have enough downward tension on the poles. Mm-hmm. That's exactly what it was. So when the wind came, the wind would kind of come underneath the tent. It would lift it a little bit, and that would slide the poles out of the socket, and uh, the poles would tip over. And I think that's – you basically – the experience I had happened to be the exact experience of the the customer who bought it and was – was concerned about, you know, wasn't happy with it. Right. And so we talked and you said, I think maybe the, pro, you know, maybe what we need to do is just do a video on setting it up to just reveal what happens if you don't do it right. Which is why I was insistent that I was going to make some time this week for us to record this because I think that that is a fantastic tool and I don't want it to get a bad reputation because if two, you know, like that person could go out on Yelp or wherever the hell people review tents sure. and be like, this tent wasn't good. And, and way too many consumers would take that as gospel. One uneducated or one 
inexperienced, I, respectfully to the person who it was, what one inexperienced person's exp, uh, in, experience with something does not make a review valid. And so I am, I mean, I, I am a gear nut, but also like I depend on gear a lot and I'm a thinker. Like I'm always fixing shit. This is why Kevin and I have hit it off so well as, 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 uh, as buddies is like, we're just always taking the things we own and trying to manipulate them and fix them and stuff. And so it was awesome that I got to take this product out, use it, come back and he's in and have Kevin say, yeah, that is basically exactly what the guy said. We troubleshoot it. I bring it back into the field where I didn't think it was going to be that windy and turned out to be in a, in a storm. And it was very windy and no problems whatsoever just by doing those little things that you advised. So that's kind of what I wanted to talk about is, is like, you know, these tricks you learn with the tent to make them withstand your weather conditions. In, and what were those tricks? I know there was one maybe securing the pole a little bit better in the pocket. And then also yeah. you're talking about downward pressure. Uh, downward pressure was a big one. So I, I think the first time I set it up, I wanted to leave the walls as high as I could because we were camping with cots. So the direct, the angle of the guys might've been wider rather than steeper to keep the walls high. So this time when I set it up, it was windy while we set it up. And I just kind of sacrificed wall height to really pin that sucker down because Kevin told me a lot about, uh, downward tension. So I, I, I shot for way more downward tension. That was one thing. Two, I just was much more uh, disciplined with getting every guy, every guy line out and stretch down and pin down and every floor piece, every floor tent loop um, pin down as well. Because I think maybe what happened on the first one is we got a lot of air underneath it. And, uh, you know, sure. whatever kind of scientific guy developed this gas law, uh, <laughs> there's a lot of pressure that goes in and it blows it up like the, a big blimp. And then that was kind of essentially like lifting the tent off the, the pole. So we staked the floor really well to pin that to the ground to limit the amount of air that was coming underneath it. That worked very well. You could see that we were not inflating the tent anymore, that instead the tent was taking the wind and shielding it around rather than swallowing it from underneath. That, those were two. Um, I mean, this is all tents in general. <sighs> Staking it, we made stakes out of willow and alder. So long story long, one of the things that drives me nuts is buying firewood because I feel like we're always surrounded by firewood. I, it drives me nuts when people buy firewood at the gas station for like seven bucks a bundle. Like you just bring the right tools with you and you have an unlimited supply. So like carrying 10 stakes with you in a lot of environments is kind of just like carrying extra weight. When if instead you carry a bush knife with you, your knife can be used to cut up your animal, cut paracord for making, you know, A-frame meat tar meat shelters, tarps, and it can be used to cut tent stakes. So you can have, I cut like 18 inch long tent stakes and we buried those suckers in the tundra to where the, you know, the eight inch tent stakes that I brought with me, the titanium ones wouldn't hold, but I, I could bury um, all their stakes, and we had we lost no ten stakes to the wind. That was huge. 
That was huge. After the first night, when I knew that none of the tent stakes were going to pull out, I slept very soundly. Mm. That that's a big one. That's not the first time I've done that. I do it pretty routinely. I just if I know there's going to be trees, I just cut my own stakes. That would be a great video for you to do. Okay. Yeah, that would be. Uh, that'd be. So- That'd be just really good to show, you know, show that like 18 inch that you're able to kind of whittle, whittle out of a, you know, and drive into the ground. Um, Cause it, cause that can be a problem, right? Like the length of a 10 sig, you can't carry or, well, I don't know. Most people aren't going to carry an 18 inch long aluminum 10 stick. No. You know, they're just too big. Way too much. Yeah. Yeah. What were you going to ask Kevin? No. Um, so what were the wind speeds just to estimate on the last trip? Uh, everybody overestimates wind because we love being special. Extreme. Yep. Yeah. But I would say that that night it was safe to say we had gusts in the thirties. In the thirties. Okay. Yeah. Um, so like windy day, that probably means it's 15 to 20. Um, we tried to set it up on the backside of some trees, but it was just the storm was developing, so we didn't we didn't have a really good um, like definitive direction. It kind of changed over the course of the day, so we couldn't really set it up behind something because we were seeing that it, it was still clouds were coming together. So, anyways, it was fifteen to twenty during the day with pretty pretty good pop and drifts at night that were uh, probably or gusts at night that were probably thirty five. Okay, nothing. Too extreme, but windy. Not extreme, but real. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And so that's, that's conservative. I don't. I don't want to tell you they were sixty because I, I can't. I don't. Right. I don't think they were. Right now, people in town were talking about them. So, <laughs> well, we just carry a kestrel around. Um, yeah. See that there goes that technology, man. You didn't. You don't carry a kestrel with you in the woods. So interestingly, <laughs> I do. Mm. Um, not. I have. I have a. I have a little like Caldwell wind checker thing, you know, that you can get for shooting. And I, I carried around with me two years ago because I was doing some gear testing for Kuyu and a lot of their clothes are windproof. And I, I knew I, I would carry two things with me was a thermal camera, a FLIR camera for my iPhone and a wind checker. And that way, when I wanted to show how products work in the environments, uh i had tools to actually demonstrate like the wind is 35 degrees it is literally driving cold right through my zipper and so i could show you know mm. show wind speed and then i could video myself with the uh, infrared camera and show the cold spots in my gear on account of the wind so i have a wind checker and i actually need to start carrying it because now working for this outfitter we're relying on our bush pilots a lot and the bush pilots are relying on the guides in the field to tell them what the wind is blowing and the guides in the field have no training whatsoever in determining how fast the wind is actually blowing. Oh, it looks about 70. I'm, I, it's, uh, <laughs> I can walk around in it. All right though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Right. <laughs> I wish it was going to come down for a while yet. I'd keep flying. Right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, okay. So let me ask you another question on the courthouse. Um, Quite a few people have mentioned a desire to have a awning or porch kind of feature added to it. 
for gear they storage want outside. Like, like an awning or a porch or something to do some gear storage, covered gear storage outside the tent. Uh, so you want to know whether I want you to do that or whether I've needed that? What's the question? Yeah, both. Uh, I get it. I No, I it's got to win. Uh, ultimately for me is no. I think you've got the right space. Like Ultimately for me, I would like... The dimensions to be such that I could put four cots in there. If you if you tessellated them correctly, you could put four cots, and then you would just use one door. I think I use cots in the tent a lot, in a teepee tent or this one because they give you that gear storage underneath your where you sleep. So okay. yeah, so I I think for me, if I was going to carry extra weight, which you would be doing if you added a front porch. I would rather carry a cot because I would sleep better and it would give me way more gear storage underneath and it gives you a place to sit while you're in the tent. It brings you up higher, closer to the, the heat from the wood stove. I, I think a cot's probably more functional. If you just need a place to store gear, I would just bring a glassing tarp because then you can take that glassing tarp and use it during the day or you, it's just more functional. It's more a functional use of extra fabric is what I'm saying. So so maybe you could just do something where you put some grommets on it that we could design a glassing tarp that could just hook onto the, the A-frame end of it. And then rather than being sewn in, it could clip in. So when you wanted the awning for, you know, catching the sunset while you're staring at the antlers of your bull around the campfire, you could do that. But when you wanted to use it during the day, it'd be available. Hmm. This is kind of always one of my tenets of, of backcountry stuff. I want everything to have multiple purposes. Mm -hmm. You know? Yeah. And, and so for you, more space for an extra cot, right? Because so for people that maybe don't know either, our, our core host is uh, our lightweight wall tent, right? So not a teepee like you would expect from Seek Outside. It's a two-pole wall tent tall vertical sidewalls that you can put cots in um, and you can fit three cots in there. Correct. Yeah. That correctly. Yeah. yeah. And we're, we're talking about it because it's the first of its kind. The TP kind of came about and people realized how functional it was. Uh, Hark, which is why the native Americans used it for so long. Um, and then the courthouse came out and I saw it in the Western Hunter magazine uh, when I started writing for them and thought, holy crap, that's friggin' genius. That is such a good use of space. This is one of the things that I've l not really liked about the teepee is when you put a cot in them, you lose a lot of functional space. Mm -hmm. But with the squared off walls, it's just, it's cozy. Mm -hmm. uh, without the weight of canvas and poles and stuff like that. Big metal poles, yeah. Yeah, yeah. So just go check it out. It's like I said, it's the first of its kind. So I want, I believe that it's a great tool. I want more people to know about it and use it because I think we've built a better mousetrap or you've built a better mousetrap. We've, I've found a better mousetrap. Um, so awning, I think that's my reply to the awning. If I'm, if we're going to bring more fabric, let's make sure to make it as functional as possible. Or to those people, just bring a cot. Just, yeah, it would be now uh, on the plus side of the awning. It would be, I know some people have mentioned a tarp that connected, right? 
but yeah. we could do an awning that would add very little weight to it. That would probably add like two to four ounces. You know, oh, that's pretty negligible. It, yeah, it would be pretty negligible. So, um, I have thought about a vestibule for the sake that if you had an abrupt wind switch, rather than unstaking your tent and moving it, if you had a vestibule, it would give you a windshield on and the that, front side. And it would do, that's kind of the thought process that we've sort of thought about on this is that it would also be shaped a bit for wind shedding on the front side. Sure. And my thought is if it's detached, if it's detachable, then you you could put it on the left or the right, depending on which way the wind is coming. You can move it rather than moving the whole tent. Anyways, I think people are seeing why we're friends because we're gear nuts and we're, <laughs> yeah, we're yeah. manipulating and tinkering things. And they should expect that the courthouse, once you guys actually get caught up on all the orders this year, might get some tweaks to it and just keep the products will just keep getting better and better and better because of real life field experience. Oh yeah. I mean, the courthouse is a real easy tent to live out of. I, I will give it that. And there's a lot of times I think it's better than a hotel room. Mm. Oh God. Yeah. yeah. Oh God. Yeah. Yeah. I was just thinking if I was, if they flew me into guide camp, there's enough guides and hunters and personalities in that camp that I would probably just go set up. <laughs> set up a TV behind the lodge and be like, I'm just going to camp. This sounds way better. <laughs> bring your own space with you yeah i bring my own space i've got my own wood stove like that i don't really know why i need the cabin well <laughs> cool man um what other hunts you got planned going on this year oh hey i actually before we leave the courthouse here's another thing i did that was really functional do you i took one of those uh i don't know how to describe it i wish i just knew the name but do you know the little orange straps that you use to bind your skis together? Yeah, like a vole strap. Yeah, a vole. Um, yeah. I use a vole strap to bind all the tent stakes together when we packed in. And then that's what I used mm. on the top of the tent pole to lock it into that sleeve. Mm-hmm. That's where it had multi multiple functions for that. And I between tension between that that did a really good job and then on the front pole instead of a volley strap to secure it to the sleeve i used paracord to uh through the very top of the zipper i slunk paracord in i cinched paracord around the sleeve in the pole and then i pulled that paracord out and used it as a guy line so that there was a guy line both on the pole and on the fabric. And that did a couple of things. That let us put enough, it, it was enough of a guy on that one that we could put a clothesline between the two poles and dry all of our socks and wet stuff inside mm -hmm. the tent on a clothesline. That was a really, really good place to put a clothesline and we weren't worried about putting enough weight that it would- That would pull, know, the poles. pull the, the two poles together. That yeah. works a lot better than the teepee clothesline style you know where people attach it around liner loops on a teepee you know yeah. and then, the, then the teepee caves in but no that i've done the same on the courthouse i mean you could set up well you can literally hang your boots off of something up there and your gloves and all sorts of stuff 
Oh, yeah, that was slick. It was so nice. And and over the teepee as well, when you stand up and the clothesline's full, you don't stand up into like a face full of wet socks and dirty underwear. <laughs> You're trying to dry out up there. There was there was room to just walk past it, you know? <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, you could even put a whole blanket and like have two, you know, you could have your room and your buddy's room. So you uh, have a little privacy. Mm. <laughs> right. Right. I don't want, I don't want you to, I don't want you to watch me change over here. Mm-hmm. Right. Especially when you're drying out your wet underwear, because I know you're not wearing anything else. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. Or when you're turning it inside out so you can wear it the rest of the week because you only brought one pair. <laughs> uh-huh. yeah, um, you asked me what I got for the rest of the year. Uh, right now, I'm I'm committed to help uh, a friend of mine with his uh, his guiding operation here in Interior Alaska for the rest of the season. So, I'm on the town side right now. He's got two two camps that are operating now that are about sixty miles bush plane flights into the bush. And people are caribou and moose hunting and sheep hunting and bear hunting, pocket full of tags, right? Uh, but I am on the road side of everything, just doing logistics and like flying hay in for the horses and fly, and then they fly meat back. So today I'll, I'll have a couple of moose coming out of the field to hang up. It's really not glamorous. Like I could tell you that I'm an Alaska hunting guide. And you're like, oh, that must be awesome. I'm like, yeah, I, I mean, honestly, I'm just picking up tools that the guy left laying around because he didn't get the project done before the season started. I'm burning burning pallets, like putting hay on airplanes and hanging moose meat. Like, I'm a grunt man right now. That's, I'm helping out any way I can. So, I don't know if I'll get to hunt myself uh, the rest of September here, but kind of one of those things you just got to look around you and see the colors changing and see the mountains and realize you're in a pretty good place when there's a lot of people who are having a tough year i'm in a pretty good place and i'm I'm grateful for that good good what about you guys what do we what do we get to talk about next time i mean hopefully we uh hopefully i get out of the out of the fire into the snow and can chase some elk around for the rest of September. That'd be great. Um, and then I got a mule deer hunt in October, maybe a, a cow elk hunt as well. So, you know, I would really like to do a cow elk hunt someday. Uh, I think that's a <laughs> let's go. I'll get the thing started. The elk hunting we live in the state of plenty so uh, yeah on, on the cow elk front certainly i do mm-hmm. um so i will try to pick up a cow tag as well they really kind of disappeared quickly this year um but i have i have a bear tag currently as well as doing some bird hunting um i'm not super worried on the bear i mean if i don't get one it's not going to bother me a uh, a ton i've been out a couple days looking for it um saw one the other day but it wa- wasn't actually in my unit and it was kind of small anyway um so then i have um pronghorn uh deer and elk um the rest of the way and that's it 
So anyways, if you send Kevin an email the rest of the year, you should expect that you get an auto reply that says, sorry, I will be hunting. I will be back somewhere around January 1st. Mm-hmm. If you need something, contact Dennis. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Then you'll get my auto reply now. I'll, I'll, be, I'll be here. Don't worry. I'll just, I'll just redirect all my email to Dennis. Yeah. So Yeah. yeah. No, I, so thank you for hosting because I think for me – I had a lot of sympathy and empathy for all the people who are going to be using their tents hunting this year. I know that Seek Outside does tents for people who do all kinds, but a lot of those people are also hunters. So, I mean, maybe 80% of your tents are, I, I don't know, I'm just guessing. Oh, yeah. Most of them from here on out are going to be used for hunting, although there will be some trending towards winter activity and backcountry skiing at some point and stuff like that as well. Probably yeah. once there's, once snow is really hitting the ground. And, and you've said that you have sold more tents this year because of COVID than ever, which tells me that there are going to be a lot of first time users and it mm-hmm. works pretty well in your yard when you've got good grass and good turf to bury stakes in the ground. But when you start getting to situations where you're like, this is, pure tundra i can't get a stake to hold alternatively when you get into pure gravel there are things you can do like make dead man anchors mm-hmm. which I've had to do and like there, there again I, I could probably make a video that would help people but i've literally been on a riverbed on the copper river delta in horrible winds with the teepee and we made dead man anchors and again the first night i laid there and thought this is it this tent if the if the stakes don't pull out or if the if the cords don't pull out of the ground, the tent's just going to literally shred around me. Yep, but I've hell. done it. I've yep. done it on uh, on the sag. Uh, Use dead man's on basically gravel. So yeah, so I think those are some things that people mm-hmm. can we have do. a good experience. Your tent. I guess what I want to say to people, which has been a good thing for me that I've learned this year, is you're not special. And all of us have been told our whole life that we're special and rules don't apply to us because we're special. But like, listen, the wind doesn't know you over Dennis, over Kevin, over me, over anybody. Like, You're not special. Nothing exceptional has happened to you in terms of weather and gear and whatever else. So like that tent, your teepee, your courthouse, whatever, can do the job. We, we can just share some experience to make you better prepared to handle the elements. And so mm-hmm. for the courthouse, it's as simple as like good downward tension, maybe adding a guy, finding something that you already have in camp to cinch that pole into the socket or into the sleeve. Um, tent stake, you know, longer tent stakes that you just take your saw and cut a, a branch, a one inch branch at an angle so you can drive it into the ground. Boom, like your tent will do the job get out there and enjoy the weather and don't be hampered by, by your gear. I agree. Uh, that's my. We do have some tip Tuesday videos. I think I filmed one on doing dead man's in the sawtooth a few years ago during the summer. Um, but it would be one of our very early tip Tuesdays. Okay. Yeah. And I'll, I'll find it and link it for people that want to want to check it out. Um, cool. I'll go, um, I don't think I have anything going on until the planes fly in about three more hours. So maybe I'll go out to the bushes and cut a steak for you and send a quick little one-minute video. Awesome. Yeah, we we knew awesome. that was throw it up online for sure. 
Awesome. Cool. All right, Thanks guys. For... Anything else you need for me? Cool, Steve. No, uh, I don't. I don't think so. Thank, thanks for doing it again. Thanks for telling that story. Um, I'll, yeah, I'll no. do. I'll do some more research. I'll have more questions for you next time. All right. Well, we can schedule this whenever you're ready. I'll be ready to yammer. Cool, man. Cool. Awesome. Thanks. Thank See you. Goodbye. Take care. Hey, everyone. Real quick before you go, I just wanted to say thanks for listening to our podcast. And if you've been enjoying our show, please leave us a review wherever you get your podcast. Thanks and have a great day.